Julie Rose, and this is Top of Mind. I have been a radio journalist for two decades, but a few years ago, I found myself avoiding the news for long stretches because of how depressing and divisive it all seems. I still wanted to be informed and engaged on important issues, though, and I figured I couldn't be alone in that. So we created this podcast. Each week, we tackle one tough topic in a way that will challenge you, help you feel more empathy, and empower you to become a better citizen, a kinder neighbor, and a more effective advocate. Today, we've got another conversation in our series, Stick With It, talking with people about a time when they felt their own perspective challenged and they had the urge to get defensive or back away, like we always do. But instead, they opted to stick with that discomfort, and they're glad they did. Today, that someone is Corey Nathan. He is host of the podcast Talkin' Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Corey, welcome. Thanks so much for taking time today. It's great to be with you, Julie. I love how you get the talk in without the G at the end. That was just perfect. I am really good at dropping my Gs. I think it's because I'm a Western Mountain West girl. We do a lot of talking. So listen, people who've listened to your podcast, Corey, know that you are never one to back away from a tough conversation. And I'm curious, just right before we dive into your specific story, is there a technique that helps you to stay in that uncomfortable place of disagreement without getting defensive and sort of switching to debate mode? It constantly reminding oneself, because we all have that inclination to get into a contest of sorts, you know, so constantly reminding ourselves to be radically curious. Uh, it reminds me of a great book that came out at the end of last year by Monica Guzman. I never thought of it that way. And the idea is to reach for, to, for, to make the goal in a conversation, to have one of those Never thought of it that way, especially, and it's hard, like it's easy when you're around people that you often agree with, but when you're around people that you disagree with, that's when, that's when you have to work out intellectually, emotionally, mentally work out. So get to that point of, hmm, that's an interesting point. And, and it's, I, I am the worst student in the class. That's one of the reasons I'm doing the program is I, I need to, I really need to learn this lesson. So constantly reminding myself. And the other thing is being, you know, born uh, of, uh, I'm, uh, my family is Jewish. We're all from New York. And in my family, if you're not suffering, you're not trying. So unless I'm in that really uncomfortable place, you know, then then I'm just not feeling at home. So. Yeah. Oh, that's well. Thank you for sharing that. That's some great insight. Um, and and the story. I'm really appreciative of you for being willing to share the story that you're going to share with us today, because um, there's there's a real personal element to it, where you're going to share some of the vulnerability that comes with having to sort of sit in that discomfort. So set it up for us. What do we need to know? I grew up in a Jewish family. We were very observant uh, and. There's, there's a whole story of how I became a Christian, but the long story short is I became a Christian. In my late 20s, I went about this very serious inquiry that led me to this notion that Jesus is the Messiah. And I believe that, um, you know, I all that stuff. That's, that's a whole other story. But the part of the story that's relevant to this conversation is I knew that one of the greatest sacrifices that I was going to make in coming to this recognition was the acceptance of my father, the acceptance of much of my family, my father in particular. In fact, I came to learn later that my father considered, the, after I told him it was Thanksgiving of 2000, uh, that he considered the possibility of doing what's called sitting Shiva. And that's what um, Orthodox Jews do, or a, a lot of observant Jews do, not just Orthodox, when somebody in the immediate family dies. 
So he considered sitting Shiva for you as though you had died because of your conversion to Christianity. Yeah, because accepting Jesus as Messiah to him was like leaving leaving the our heritage, leaving our people, leaving our family. It was a betrayal uh, in his mind. But to his credit, he's the one who took the first step in this direction, which is he came to the conclusion that his relationship with his son was even, sorry, I'm going to get emotional thinking about it, um, was even more important than his convictions about Judaism and our history uh, and our heritage as a people. So he came to that evolution himself very early on, although he had great deep convictions uh, and and great reservations, to say the least, about my becoming a Christian. So he wrote me about a month later, he sent a 10-page single-spaced letter spelling out all of the reasons why I must not, I cannot, I just do not become a Christian. And he approached it from so many different angles, from a political, a religious, a filial obligation, historical, emotional, so many different reasons in this letter. And what that was, he he thought that he was going to convince me to change my mind, to change my decision. But what it really was for both of us, and we didn't maybe realize it at the time, it was the beginning of a conversation. We chose to engage with each other. We, I chose to start responding to him paragraph by paragraph. It ended up becoming an email dialogue over the course of three, four years. In some ways, it's still going today, uh, 20 plus years later. So the stick with it moment for you, and I guess for your father, but we'll speak it from your perspective, was was deciding whether or not you were going to engage. <laughs> you could very well, I guess, have decided that for the sake of the relationship, we will never discuss religion again, right? Like, we're, we're just not going to touch it. So it would have been simpler if I had never mentioned that I became a Christian to my father or my family. It would have been simpler even if I said I'm Christian and I never want to talk about it again. And if we're being candid, there, how many families around the country are in that state right now about any number of things? We can do better than that. We, we can figure out how to have conversations across our differences. Not that we're going to agree and have some kumbaya moment. My father, he still thinks I'm nuts for believing that this Jesus character rose, died and rose again. You know, But the truth is, because of our dialogue, his view of Shua ben Yosef, uh, who we think of as Jesus, is is much more nuanced than it ever would have been. And reading a lot of the gospel accounts and and other theologian Christian theologians, he's come to the conclusion that Rabbi that um, Rabbi Jesus is just that a tzaddik, a great rabbi of his generation, and perhaps even a prophet in the in the tradition of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi and the great prophets of Israel. It's just a very um, very nuanced view because of our conversations. And, and what about you? What um, you know? What t- tell me first of all? What was your I mean, how did you how did you get away from or did you have to get away from feeling like you needed to defend yourself or somehow convince him of your rightness in order for this conversation to play out the way it has? That's a great question, because you're assuming that I had to get over that um, or, or that I have gotten over it. And I haven't. I'm a pretty shallow guy in that regard. <laughs> I, you know, I, I do feel the need to defend myself. But at the same time, I'm also painfully aware of my own shortcomings and my own short-sightedness. Um, so it's this dichotomy. So what what was it that that kept me in the game, that, that kept this conversation going? Um, it was the fact that I realized 
I was not going to convince my father. I wasn't going to convince my best friends who I had similar conversations with uh, the, the guys I grew up with. But what was more important to me than convincing them that I was right? It was in being in relationship with them. Because look, if truth is true, they'll, they'll figure it out. If, if God that I believe in is God, then he'll figure out a way to get that across to these guys. Like I ain't God. So if it's not on me to convince them, whether you believe in God or not, whatever your beliefs might be, you know, I believe in goodness. And I believe, I believe that folks who need to believe a certain thing We'll figure it out one way or the other, you know? And so what was the point then? So what's the point of being in that conversation if you don't have a, a job to do there? Because maybe I'm just one foot soldier in a larger campaign. May maybe it is through this one conversation that we're doing a little bit of work. And Judaism is called tikkun olam. That we're doing one little bit. We're putting one little brick on the new, you know, Jews think of built, rebuilding the temple, right? One little brick. There, there's this balance between the uniqueness of the individual within the context of the people of God, within the context of a larger organization, if you will. I, I'm not saying that I'm so great or that I'm God or I'm the master of the universe, but nobody's been created like me. There's only one me, <laughs> you know? It's, it's totally unique, not to get too philosophical or too out there with you, but like that means that there is a special place, like just keeping that in context of, of this one conversation is doing one little bit. And, and at the same time, maybe the person that I'm with is having that effect on me that I also need. You know, it's it's symbiotic in that way. What did you find yourself? What was What was something surprising that you found yourself getting out of by staying in this uncomfortable conversation with your father? Was there, uh, was there, was there a moment over, and I guess it's been, what, 20, 30 years at this point, right, that, that you've been having this conversation with him? Not all by email, I presume. I, I, some no. of it has... <laughs> so, sometimes over a nice glass of wine or a scotch around the fireplace. So, Can you think of a moment where you felt like, oh, here's, here's what I'm getting that I hadn't expected? I think it was allowing my faith my convictions to be challenged and risking the possibility that I'll go through that inquiry changing my point of view. But more often than not, coming out the other side of an inquiry, gaining some nuance to my beliefs and more depth to my beliefs. Like I said before, if what you believe is true, it's still going to be true after you do a, an earnest inquiry about it. I love that because I think it's that fear that keeps us from wanting to – that sends us into our defensive corners anytime we feel that challenge. I mean, fundamentally for me, it's the fear that I'm going to find out I was wrong all, all along or that I made I made some st stupid decision or that I – caused uh, harm in some way. <laughs> and, 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 and so, so these stick with it moments, I'm, I, I hear this from a lot of people that, that initially there's that fear and that you kind of just have to sit with that and say, you know, I think I'm going to be okay and, and come out the other end with more nuance. And often it's fascinating to me that you come out with a clearer understanding, a stronger conviction even of what right. it is that you believed, but allowed to be challenged. And here's the thing, if I'm wrong, I want to know it. You know, like if I'm banging my head against the wall, I want to know so I don't, you know, completely knock myself out. 
I never thought I'd become a Christian. It was the furthest thing from my mind, the furthest thing that I wanted. I could have gone home and told my parents just about anything, that I was a Buddhist, I was a Muslim, I was a, I was gay. I, would, I don't know, all these things, these basic fundamental identifying things, but Christian was just a no-go. Uh, so that's the last thing I wanted to be. But somebody at some point said, open the door for me to explore this possibility. And I found out that, oh, this whole other thing is the most coherent, most cohesive set of answers to basic existential questions. And I never wanted to come up with this set of answers, but it's true. So what am I going to do? Am I going to pretend that I, I don't think it's true? It is based on you know my, my own inquiry. So I, if I'm wrong, I want to know. Help me out. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a big help to me if I if you help me along that path of letting me know the error of my ways. <laughs> and what's happened to the to your relationship with your father as a result of deciding to stay in this conversation? Our relationship could have gone complete. We could have gone uh, and separated altogether and never talked to each other again. Um, but I will say that it was a rough three or four years after I first became a Christian, and then. Our relationship was in many ways enriched and enhanced because of those differences, because of that struggle of going through that time uh, and coming out the other side, still having those differences, but understanding each other better and understanding the philosophy and the beliefs um, behind it uh, much better, appreciating each other's differences that much more. In all transparency, we've hit some other bumps in the road too, just like any other family does. Um, so I'm not going to say it's a complete happily ever after thing. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I have to wonder also if um, if these many decades of this conversation have also helped you to be more, made you more confident in talking about your faith and your conversion because of all, you know, the the all the things you've discussed and sort of gone over with your dad back and forth, back and forth over these years. Yeah. When you get your reps in, it, it gets less difficult, less scary, I should say, not less difficult, not less complex, but less scary to go into those conversations, you know, because I love it when somebody gets me to the point of, of saying, you know, that's a great question. And I, I really don't know, would you give me some time to reflect on that or look that up and let me get back to you. To me, that's a gift. It's a gift. Number one, because it helps me expand my own understanding. And it also is a gift in that it forces us to come back to the conversation. I love when somebody stumps me because I, I get to I get to learn something new and and I, I also get to revisit that conversation with, with a, a friend and nurture that relationship a little bit more. Yeah. I respect that you do that uh, on a regular basis on your podcast as well, talking politics and religion without killing each other. I mean, the whole essence is that you are frequently talking with people with whom you disagree or or who challenge your way of thinking. And to be able to kind of yeah. stay in that conversation and experience the thrill of that is something I can relate to. The hard part is getting folks to come on the air, like getting folks to go out. It's It's hard enough getting folks to go out for a beer, a cup of coffee or something like that. Or just to hop on a Zoom with an old pal from my hometown. But getting somebody to come on the air and put their name to it, that's a whole other level of uh, – but but it's fun. Sometimes I'll get somebody to come on. I'll say, listen, if the conversation goes off the rails, we just won't publish it. But <laughs> at the very least, me and you will get to catch up. And you know, I'm sure you'll agree with everything I say by the end of the conversation, you know, jokingly. That, that's, that's really the hard part is a lot of folks just don't want to put their name to it. 
it's hard to trust anymore in in today's you know world of of polarized conversation. It's hard to it's hard to trust that that it's possible even to be able to have open, honest dialogue with someone who, with whom you you disagree, maybe extremely. <laughs> so yeah. we need more models of it. I appreciate what you're doing. It is, you know, but the, that's the thing. It's a lot of opinions are formed in an epistemic bubble. You know what I mean? Like we 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 surround ourselves with people who largely agree with us and then we listen to podcasts or or um, radio shows or watch TV channels that largely reinforce what we're already believing. Well, well listen Corey, thank you so much for for sharing your story with us today. I appreciate it. I really appreciate including me in the conversation, Julie. I, I hope it's not the last time. I'd love to get to know you better and get to know your work better and you know, let's let's keep going. Absolutely. Corey Nathan is the host of Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. You can find it on all the podcast platforms, and I encourage you to do so. So that's it for today's Stick With It conversation here on Top of Mind. We've had such a great response from listeners to this series, and I'd love to hear your Stick With It story. Tell me about a time when you encountered a perspective or a situation that challenged your way of seeing things and you wanted to back away, made you feel immediately defensive, but instead of shutting down, you stayed curious, radically curious, like Corey Nathan was talking about. And as a result, you got to someplace new. Maybe you deepened a relationship or built some new empathy or came to some new clarity about your own perspective. Email your Stick With It story to topofmind at byu.edu, and we'll be in touch. I'd love to have you on the series. And stay tuned, of course, to the Top of Mind podcast for more of these conversations, along with our weekly episodes tackling tough topics in a way that will challenge you and help you feel more empathy on this path we're on to become better citizens, kinder neighbors, and more effective advocates. I'm Julie Rose. We'll talk soon. We'll talk soon.